Hey everybody, Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to thank you for being here and being a part of this healing space. Uh, this is my soul work, as I've said often on this show and on my social media accounts. Um, so yeah, I just feel compelled to put this beautiful light of hope out into the world with these interviews and uh, just this inspiration that's happening in the world right now. I just, I don't know, I feel as if there's a darkness that's trying to overcome us. And you look on social media and you look on the news and it's just so overwhelming, but there's so much goodness and there's so much light and uh, we just need to focus on that. So that is my goal with this show. And again, I just, uh, I thank you for being here. Again, if you want to go to um, my academy.terrywellbrock.com, I have some courses on there, and I have a um, some coaching that I just started to utilize as well. So be sure to go visit that. Visit terrywellbrock.com, T-E-R-I-W-E-L-L-B-R-O-C-K, and you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter. And be sure to go to the YouTube channel or uh, the Facebook page or any of the audio outlets and subscribe. Um, the podcast just hit downloaded in 100 countries. Woohoo! So that's a big uh, that's a big milestone. We've, we're now in 100 countries. All right. Well, this was a, a great interview coming up. So stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and so very thrilled to have with me today Brett Weiss that I'm going to read. He is the founder and director of the Weiss Scholarship Foundation, providing education to children in Kenya. And just so, so excited to talk to you today. So welcome, Brett. Good morning. Thank you, Terry. I am excited to be here and talk about all this wonderful stuff. Oh my gosh, we right before record, we started talking about hope. And I was like, oh, we'll talk about all of this on air because this is great stuff. And so yes. yeah, hope is your logo and an underlying current of, uh, of what you're doing in the world, which is just amazing. Um, so yeah, talk to the audience about uh, what it is you're doing. Well, you know, in 2009, I made a volunteer trip, uh, kind of a bucket list thing, spent about three weeks in the village in back of me here, a little village called Dago. 3,000 people, re very remote, as poor as any people on earth. I mean, less than $2 a day, family income. And I fell in love with the people. And, you know, no electricity, no plumbing, you know, almost nobody will ever get medical care. A few people live past 40. AIDS has devastated this part of the world. And one of the key things, as an, as an educator myself, most kids quit school about fourth grade. And the reason they quit is because the government doesn't pay for high school. So they figure they're never going to get to high school. Why bother to go to school at all? And they quit. And then their goal is to get a job working in the fields. Any day they can get a job, they make a dollar for that day. And in that world, you bring home a dollar. That's a big deal. And that's what I saw when I was there. And I decided I needed to do something to change that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, to us, I, I, it's so hard for me to even wrap my head around the fact of one, a child not being in school past fourth grade, but to right. families living with that kind of income. And now I know from, from what I've read and in the videos I've watched of you that um, high school isn't paid for by the government. Right. 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 And, and that, and that's why they quit. And so uh, 
so in, in the past few years, since 2012, when we awarded our first scholarship, we've awarded 79 scholarships. And I'll give you a little, I haven't said this public yet, but on June 1st, we're going to award 22 more. Oh. And that'll be 101. And so what we do is basically we send kids to high school. And then at the end of high school, they take an exam. It's kind of their equivalent of the SAT or ACT. If they do really, really well, the government lets them go to university. For the kids who don't go to university, we help them get into a vocational school. So we have kids learning to be carpenters and plumbers and tailoring and you know things like that. Uh, so we want everybody to you know be able to get a good profession and make a nice living and so on. And it's been, it's, it's pure joy. It's a work of love. Uh, it is really cool to see these kids grow and change. I, I did a Zoom call about two weeks ago with Nicholas. In fact, I wrote a book called Just Give Them a Hug and the Rest Will Be Easy. You can get on Amazon. Uh, one of the two boys on the cover with me is Nicholas. He is in his last year at the University of Nairobi, and he's an engineering major. He was telling me about an internship that he's doing um, and by the way, I don't know anything about engineering. He's telling me that he's helping to write a GPS system that will track weather patterns in Kenya, which is really cool for Kenya. And, uh, and I pretended like I knew what he was talking about when I really didn't. And I just said, that's fantastic. And think about it, a few years ago, he was living in this village in a little mud hut with no hope of even going to high school. And now he's a few months away from being an engineering graduate. It's, it's just so cool. Yeah, it is so cool. And I'm telling you, as I as I looked at your website and again, watched an interview that you did um, in a Chicago station, I, I had tears in my eyes. Like I was welling up because my heart was just overflowing with so much joy of, again, just, just the hope that you're bringing to these to these kids and and to the community. Uh, truly, it's just. Yeah, I, it's interesting when you say tears when I'm there there's this little room I stay in. And sometimes I'm in tears because I watch and see how tough their life is. You know, and I, I tell you, they're the nicest, most polite, hardest working people I've ever met. Um, I look at their life as very difficult. They just love life. They don't see their life as difficult because they don't know any other life. It's just what they do. And basically seven days a week, they, from the time the sun comes up to the sun goes down, they work really hard. Um, and you know, what we're trying to do is change some of that. Yeah. Beautiful. So now you were talking about, um, the fact that more of these kids are starting to realize the hope even without right. offering them scholarship money. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. The, uh, so when I first went there in this village, they'll usually have about 80 children in first grade evenly divided girls and boys. By the time you would get to eighth grade, maybe 35 would be left, three or four of them would be girls. In the class that just graduated, uh, there were 70 children. So we've actually doubled the number of children staying in school through eighth grade, almost as many girls as boys. And the exam they take at the end of eighth grade, the scores have gone up by 50%. You can tell I'm a former educator, I'm into educational data. Um, so it tells us that kids, are staying in school longer. They're doing much better on the exam. They're learning more. Why? Because there's hope. Before there was no hope. No matter what they did, life wasn't going to change. 
Now it's like, boy, if I work hard, maybe I can get a scholarship too and go to university or vocational school. Um, so it's the, the our, our foundation has had an impact beyond even what we thought it would, beyond even the kids we're giving scholarships to. Yes, beautiful. Well, and another thing that I, I thought was just so cool is that you're, you're making sure that girls are receiving scholarships um, as well as boys. You're splitting it up 50-50, right? It's like you just read my mind, Terry. That was one of the next things I wanted to say. Yes. You know, quickly, what you learn there is life is difficult for all these children, but it's a brutal life for girls in a whole lot of horrible ways. Um, so we always, a firm rule since the beginning, all money is divided equally between girls and boys. Part of why that's crucial, the exam that we use to pick our kids for high school, the girls tend to score a lot lower than the boys. Not because they're not as smart, but for a whole lot of reasons beyond their control, they've missed a lot of school. Matter of fact, of the 79 we'd given, if we did it just based on test scores, only six girls would have received a scholarship. And we know there's all kinds of research. If you give a girl a chance, she'll do just as well, if not better than the boys. But if she doesn't get the chance, it's not going to happen. Um, and the reality is we cannot end poverty like this unless girls are educated. So that is a really, really important part of what we do. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I, wow. When you just said that about how, if you just give the girls a chance and I, and I just think of that with all children, if you just give them a chance, I had a conversation yes. with someone just yesterday about that with kiddos. I was, I was, I had put out a post on Facebook praising my own daughter about her accomplishments and how much she has done. And someone that's uh, in the ACEs uh, community, adverse childhood experiences, uh, who's a friend of mine had commented upon how, imagine how many of these children in our world would, would be these beautiful, you know, stars. I called her a rock star. And she said, how many kids would be rock stars if just given the opportunity? Um, so, yeah. Well, the sad, the sad reality, Terry, and what drives me to do this, more than half the children in the world get little to no education. Most people don't realize that. Like this village isn't just like a rare village. There are thousands of villages like this. And the sad reality is a hundred years ago, we said the same thing. More than half the children in the world get little to no education. It really hasn't changed at all. And yeah, think about like the young man, Nicholas, who's going to be an engineering graduate soon. How many thousands and thousands more could be just like that if they just had the opportunity to do it? So I, I want to mention another thing that ties into what would I call a business model. Uh, in addition to the 50-50 split on money between girls and boys. Very early on, we realized that these children need a lot more than just financial help. Uh, because of AIDS, very few have both parents. Many have lost both parents, and they're lucky like if a grandma or an auntie takes them in. Um, so, And the mothers or the women in the village really have no education, probably because they weren't allowed to go to school. The fathers maybe a, a two, three years, something like that. So they're not really equipped to help their children through primary school, into high school, oh. university, vocational school. It's a world that they don't understand at all. So we have two full-time people on the ground who are both young people in their 20s, university graduates. They were trained to be teachers. We hired them to be our mentor coordinators. Their job is to be totally engaged in the lives of our children. They visit them every term at their high school. We have excuse me, we have children in many boarding schools around Kenya. They visit them every term. 
we go the, over the report cards with them, praise them on what they're doing well, help them overcome the challenges that they're facing. We meet with the principal, assistant principal, their teachers. We know all the parents in the village, meet with them all the time. So, so, so we're there, I call it a holistic approach. We're there to provide all the support we possibly can to do everything we can to ensure success. Be in addition to the, the the money part of it is, and in COVID, this became incredibly important. Um, children were home for nine months. Um, one of the things we have to realize: the definition of a child being safe, and I don't just mean COVID safe; I mean everything safe. It is very different in Kenya than it is here. In the nine months they were home, and every night I get these Google alerts, I read news and try to keep up on what's going on in Kenya. In those nine months, sadly, the rapes of teenage girls and uh, teenage pregnancies went up dramatically. Because when you're not in school, it's much more dangerous. And so Ernest and Christine are two full-time people. One of the things they did is we we eventually we were able to get a place with electricity. We got the government to put electricity, bought them a couple of computers, a router, a printer, bought both of them cell phones. Every day we held classes. They took out desks from this primary school and back and we made circles. We actually started a tailoring school just before the, the, the lockdown started. And the first big project was they made masks for everybody in the village. So Ernest and Christine tried to run classes every day in those nine months. Now, was it perfect? Far from it. But of course, it's far from perfect here, too. But we tried to keep education going. But even more important, I asked Christine and Ernest to every day check in with these children, their parents, make sure they're safe. Um, and so I'm happy to say that on January 4th, when schools reopened, every one of our kids safely returned to school. When the reality is thousands of Kenyan children did not return to school, most of them are girls. Sadly, there is no high school in Kenya that will allow a girl who is pregnant to come to school. So the reality for these thousands of kids, their education is probably over. They're probably just done. And that's very sad. But I was really proud of Ernest and Christine and how we kept our kids safe and did a pretty reasonable job of keep, keeping education going. Yes. Well, kudos to you for, for stepping up. I mean, I think of here here in the States and seeing reports and reading articles and so forth of parents saying, oh my gosh, I can't do this math with these kids. I haven't done this in forever. And this, you know, becoming these homeschooling parents during, yes. during lockdowns. And so, yeah, I hadn't even thought about when you have parents who, who've never gone past maybe second grade or just sure. a few years to suddenly have their kids going to seventh, eighth grade or high school and they can't help. Yeah. In, in, the, in the early days of COVID, people would ask me, how is the e-learning going in Dago, the village? And I'd laugh and I'd say, well, it's a little hard to do e-learning when you don't have electricity. Um, you know, so I'd have to explain exactly what we were doing. But, you know, we kept education going and we're proud of what we did. And, you know, it was a worldwide pandemic. And uh, I was really happy the people in Dago took COVID very serious, you know, not because of, you know, they saw the kids wearing masks, they all wore masks, they social distanced, they've been very, very serious about it. So I'm very, very happy about that. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, one of the questions I ask, and I think it's just very critical with this conversation is, uh, um, oh my gosh, my, my brain just went blank, was uh, truths and, okay. 
and myths. So is there yes. anything you want to clarify for, for listeners? Yes. I, I, the myth I would love because I'm convinced that the number one obstacle to creating a world where every child gets an education is most people don't think it can be done. You know, we need to change people's thinking. We, I say this all the time. We can create a world where every child gets a great education. It's doable. I'm one little guy. And in, in a few years, we, we put a bunch of kids through school. And I'm no smarter than anybody. I'm not a billionaire. You know, it's not that hard, really. And, and so let's create that world where every child gets an education. I think a lot of people think like, oh, we just can't do it. It's too difficult. And they just kind of forget about it. And so that leads me, Terry, really one of the coolest things about this is how inexpensive it is to totally change the child's life. You know, we, we put two kids through college here. We know what that costs here. We send children to high school. These are boarding schools. All four years, room and board, books, fees, tuition, you know, everything. $3,500 for all four years. Think about that. That's $3,500. That comes down to $3 a day. $3 a day totally changes the child's life. So it, it, it doesn't take very much at all. It, it's, it's, it's so simple, really. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And, and again, I, I had kids go into college and this, I mean, yeah. the thousands upon thousands of dollars spent here in the States. Um, and again, just what a gift you're giving these kiddos. Um, so how do people, how, how do people, do they sponsor a child? Do they just donate towards the scholarship fund itself? How does it work? Uh, both, really. We have, really have two kinds of donors. There's people who donate just whatever they want, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, whatever they want. And then we have people who sponsor a, want to sponsor a child all on their own. Uh, probably about half of our kids have been sponsored by like one person or one family. So that's $3,500. Other people just give an amount. Um, so uh, we have a number of people who do recurring donations. We love recurring donations. You can go on our website. Uh, matter of fact, I'm running a promotion, so I'll say it here. If you donate, uh, if you set up a $21, at least $21 a month recurring donation on our website using PayPal, um, I'll send you I, I, a copy of my book. Uh, just give them a hug and the rest will be easy. And we have a very fancy White Scholarship Foundation t-shirt. So we'll send you both of those if you set up a $21 a month recurring donation, or you could do more than $21. Uh, but the key is just making a donation. Um, you know, I have sometimes people say, I can't help. I, there's nothing I can do. I don't have money. I say, can you send in $3? They go, yeah. Okay, send in $3. That's a whole day of education. They're like, okay. And they feel good. Yes. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. They, they feel good about doing that. For, for now, for the folks watching the video part, are, these are the kiddos behind you. In the back of me is part of the Dago Primary School, um, where these children go to go to school. It, you can see there's some brick, there's mud, there's dirt. The floors are really dirt. Uh, the desks are they're these old wooden desks, so they're kind of falling apart. With the little kids, three or four will share a desk. The older kids, maybe two or three, will share a desk. They're kind of dark and dingy. It's just a room. You can see there's windows. There's no real glass. Um, the roof is what they call a metal roof. And there are little holes in the roof so that light can come through. Um, and they're small enough so the rain doesn't come through. But, you know, this is how they learn. But uh, actually, 
our success has led to a problem for the primary school. When I said that we have twice as many kids like staying through eighth grade, the reality is the eighth grade classroom can't hold 70 kids. So they actually divide the eighth grade class in two and they trade off during the day. In the morning, half are in the classroom, half are outside. And then they switch in the afternoon. And of course, there's still only one teacher for all of that. So we're keeping more kids in primary school, but it's created a problem. They don't have enough space. Right, right. Which hopefully then more people will start to help support this program and maybe possibly expand the building. Well, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so what are the challenges? People ask me, it's great you said that, Terry. People ask me all the time, well, what do they need? And my response is, they need everything. Right. They need everything. Everything we take for granted, they need. They need medical care. They really don't have medical care. Most people live and die and never see a doctor. They need housing. They all live in little mud huts. And because of AIDS, quite often there's like 15, 16 people in a little mud hut that's smaller than their living rooms. Like you, you'll have a lot of homes, there's like a mom and a dad, their children, and then a whole bunch of their nieces and nephews because their parents have died. Um, so, you know, they need safe water. Safe water is a big problem. They need better housing. They need everything. And um, so, you know, there's no one thing. You know, I focus on education. You know, because I'm a retired educator now. My wife is a retired teacher. Uh, My parents, who we've done this really all in memory of, were depression babies, always wanted to go to college, never were able to. But they worked hard and made sure that me and my brothers got to go to college. Um, So um, I kind of lost track on where I was going with that. But uh, anyway, we, 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 oh, I, I forgot. Go well, ahead. We ask were just, question. Well, well that's all right. We were talking about, I, I had said how, you know, that maybe we can get them a bit bigger building, you know? And so, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so I focus and you got me back on tractors. So I focus just in education because I, I'm a retired educator, but I really believe education is the only solution. Right. A line I use in my talks quite a bit is education is the only long-term sustainable solution to poverty. You know, we're creating people who are gonna become doctors and lawyers and teachers and plumbers and carpenters and auto mechanics. You know, we're creating young people who are gonna be the solutions to the problems. Um, And so we have to educate people. And like I said, the reality is for a hundred years, the problem really hasn't changed. Um, and it can change. And matter of fact, I'll, I'll let you in on another little thing that we're not making public till June 1st. But um, of the 22 new ones, four of them are going to go in a second location because it's our plan to take this program to different villages. So four of them are going to be operating, are going to be in the village about two hours away from this village of Dago. So it's a whole second thing that we're opening up. Terry, as a result of what I do, I'm contacted by people from Africa, mostly Kenya every day. A lot of them are like, please bring your foundation to our village. And, you know, most of them I write back and I say, I'm sorry, I don't have the resources. Maybe someday, God bless you. I hope you can get some help. The saddest people, and I get several of these every week, I get them either through email or Facebook. I mean, because we're out there in the whole internet world. A lot of times I'll get a message that's something like, I'm a single mom. You know, there are British colonies. They were British colonies. So everything's very British. I'm a single mom. I have five children. Uh, I can't pay their school fees. Can you help me? Desperate. 
And I know some of the, a small percentage of those might be somebody trying to scam me, but most of them are just legitimate, just desperate, desperate moms looking for help for their children. And it's, it's very sad. If, if I had a billion dollars, I'd try to send them all to school. Oh my gosh, you just, you read my mind because I was thinking to myself, I'm here in my brain, I'm like, gosh, if, when and if I have the money, <laughs> yes, I wish I had a billion dollars to help. And, right? and what to me, I think, oh my gosh, there's so much excess in this world in so many ways. Yes. And if we could just funnel some of it into the education right. of children, it, yes, you're right. What a difference it, it would make. It's interesting when I'm there, Think about like I if my iPhone is not working properly today, I'm like, it's like a disaster for me. They don't worry about that. They don't even have electricity. Their worry is, are they going to have enough food today? Most of these children get one meal a day. You know, I mean, they're just trying to survive every day. They don't have the worries that we do because they can't afford to have those worries. They're in survival mode all the time. Right. Right. Wow. Well, again, just what a huge gift you're giving, giving to these, these kiddos. So. Actually, Terry, let me give you, one of the things you asked me about earlier was about someone who I'd like to meet and, and, and it's Malala, you know, Malala, the young girl from Afghanistan who stood up for oh. education was yes. shot by the Taliban in the head. She was taken to England and luckily survived very serious injuries. And she's really leading probably the leading force in the world for girls' education. I mean, to, you talk about heroes. You know, I, I'm a believer that we use the word hero way too often. You know, I'm a big sports guy, but to me, athletes aren't heroes. They're, they're sports guys. You know, uh, Malala is a real hero. This girl stood up for girls' education knowing she probably was gonna, they were going to try to kill her. And they did try to kill her. So what, what a great role model. I, I, for five minutes with Malala, I would love that. She's just amazing. Yes. Well, and, and again, it comes back to what you said earlier. One person, if you, if you help change one person's life, how that just ripples out and can affect so many. I mean, look at what she's doing and the impact that she's having. And then what I think about is, is the young man, Nicholas, that you're talking about and getting his engineering degree. And, but, but what an impact he is going to have on his on his family and his village and these kids looking up and saying, oh my gosh, if he can do it, I can do it. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Because so one of the things we do, we added to our program a few years ago, you know, these kids are all away for most of the year, but they come home on breaks. So we started a thing, the high school kids and kids from university and vocational schools, they go spend time at the primary school and back of me with these kids. Because you got to realize the kids who've got scholarships from us, they're rock stars in the village. They got out. They're getting an education. They go back and talk to these kids and tell them about high school and university and what it's like and the opportunities they're going to have. And they, you know, they encourage them, you know, work hard. And if you work hard, you can get this too. I mean, they're, they're incredible role models and they're role models in a world where these kids don't have many role models because I mean, their parents, I'm sure they love their parents, but their parents have never gone to school. So it's great when they can see kids, and they probably know these kids and they know their siblings and so on. And wow, look at what they're doing. I got to work harder now and I can do this too. Yes, absolutely. So now any of the kids who have, have been through uh, university and then gone on to 
get a job and and a career? No, we're not there yet. But think as we've evolved, it started with just high school and then we moved on to vocational and university. So um, we have three students who are pretty close. COVID has delayed everything. We would have a graduate, but we don't now. But be, before this year is over, we should have three university graduates. So, Terry, I, I want to come on your show again when I can tell you we have a student who's a lawyer, an engineer, <laughs> a carpenter, a plumber. We're not there yet, but in the next few years we're going to get there, and it will greatly add to the story uh, as to what the, you know what they're doing. Yes, I love that idea. Absolutely, come back and talk to us, and uh, yeah, that would just be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank the you. story just keeps evolving and changing. So. Uh, it grow as the, as the kids grow, it changes. Yes, and I and you now you do interviews with the kids as well, and have them talk yes. about. Okay, thank you. Yeah, up on our YouTube channel, there, you know, White Scholarship Foundation, we do tons of interviews with the children, and uh, these are absolutely precious. You know, they talk about first of all, they thank their sponsor. They're so appreciative of the opportunity they've been given. And because they know a number of the kids they grew up with are back in the village. They didn't get a scholarship, sadly, and their life probably isn't going to be any different. So they're so appreciative. They love to talk about their favorite subjects. Many of them, if they like singing, they want to sing a song and <laughs> talk about the sports they're playing. So, yeah, these interviews are very precious. And what really touches me, and I see this in the interviews, plus these kids fill out applications. We also do a lot of letter exchanges with our donors. These kids are, it's ingrained in them from the time they're little to help others the way they've been helped. And it, they talk all the time about wanting to help their parents, help the people back in the village. You know, they've been helped, you know, uh, pass it on. Uh, I can't pay it forward. I couldn't think of the phrase, you know, pay it forward. They're, they're, it, and in fact, sometimes I've had people tell me that I must tell them to say these things. I go, I would never tell a kid what to say. They just say what they want to say because they're all like, I'm going to help others. Uh, a number of them, like several want to be nurses. And it's like, you know, I want to open up a medical facility oh. near my village so they can get medical care, you know, things like that. Uh, Victor, who's the other young man that's on the cover of the book with me, with Nicholas, uh, he wants to be a math teacher. He'll, he'll uh, graduate later this year. He's a math wizard. Um, and he's a great young man. He'll be a fantastic teacher. Awesome. And so now do many of them want to stay with their with their village and and help it blossom and grow? Yeah, that that's a great question. Generally, no. But let me explain. Think about here. Think about young people who grow up in rural farm areas here in the United States. Right. What are their parents very frustrated with? They don't want to live there anymore. <laughs> They want to live in the city or in the suburbs because what happens is when they go to high school, their whole world is opened up for the first time. They have electricity. They have plumbing. They're getting three good meals a day. Electricity means that they see some TV. It means that they can get on the Internet. Going back to a village where they have none of that is just not going to happen for them. I'm not going to say never, but in generally, no. But. These kids grow up, you know, when I say they want to help people back in the village, you know, we raise our children. Be, we want them to be successful, you know, have a better life than we do. You know, my depression era parents were very big on that. We want you to have a better life. It's kind of reversed in this world. These kids grow up kind of the smartest kids in the village. And they're told from the time they're little, you work hard, get a good education, make a lot of money, 
you can get me out of Dago and build me a nice house. And that's all. Think about the pressure that is on these young people. It's a lot of pressure on them to succeed because their parents are hoping that they'll help them. Yeah. So it, it's kind of the reverse of our world here. Right. Right. Yep. But again, what, what a, I don't know, a, a goal for these kiddos to know that they are really paying it forward by paying it backwards <laughs> by helping yes. their parents. So yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. So anything else that you wanted to touch upon that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Um, I don't think so. I'm looking kind of the notes I made here. You know, the whole thing, 50-50 girls. We have our people on the ground helping. I really want to ask the viewers here, anything you can do to help us, go to WeissScholarshipFoundation.org. You can donate through PayPal. Um, you'll see on the website, too, we have donations that come in through Venmo and Cash App. Uh, still checks are the main way, the old-fashioned checks are the main way we get donations. You'll see our address on there here in Naperville. You can mail a check and don't feel that anything is too small. You know, nothing is too small. $3, I get send in $3. That's, that's a whole day of school. So any help is very much appreciated. When you've donated, we do a monthly mailer where we keep our donors. We, we do a lot to keep our donors uh, up to date on the wonderful things happening because of their donations. We share pictures and videos and report cards and, and all that stuff because we want donors to feel good. We want them to see, wow, this is happening just because of my donation. So, so I just want to encourage people to donate whatever they can. Wonderful. Now, do you, are you on social media as well? Oh yeah, all over social media. Yes. You know, White Scholarship Foundation on Facebook, you know, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Um, we do a lot of social media to be frank, personally, I've had to learn a lot about social media cause I have to do all of it. And, uh, I've been, I think, I think I was lousy at social media a few years ago. I don't think I'm great, but I've gotten better at it. And yeah, we're all over social media. Um, uh, just look for white scholarship foundation and, and you will find us. Wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you. Oh my gosh. For the work you're doing in the world. Just beautiful. Well, thank you, Terry. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate the time to connect with you and all the people who watch us. Awesome. All right. Well, everyone, okay. thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the Academy terrywellbrock.com for the courses but if you go to my website terrywellbrock.com you can sign up for my monthly hope for healing newsletter which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for uh, again healing and hope strategies Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.